welcome this morning. Let's just uh, open in prayer. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. Father, we thank you that when we seek you, you have said that we find you. But it takes the seeking. It isn't just, uh, hey God, and then we find you. Seeking is an active action. Something that we continuously do. Father, I pray for your bride this morning that she would seek you. Not as a whole, but individually. God, that each one who knows your Son as Savior would actively participate in going hard after you. Because I'm confident if they will do that, I believe in your promises. I believe in your word where you say that they'll find you. You are not a God who speaks one thing out of one side of his mouth and another thing out of the other. You speak only truth. You speak love. You speak justice. You speak hope. You speak peace. All these things come at a great cost. For it costs you everything. Why should it cost us any less? Fill my mouth with your words. I don't even want to listen to myself. I want to hear you. And nothing more. Nothing less. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we live in difficult times. You know that. That's not a surprise. For those who may just be waking up, we live in difficult times. In case you haven't noticed over the last six months to a year, right? We live in difficult times. We live in times where what is up seems down, what is down seems up. And what's funny is, We've always kind of talked about this. I, I, I know even, even when I was younger, Alex and I would talk about, yeah, wouldn't it be weird if? Or wouldn't it be wild if? And yet, we're seeing now some of these things come to place in the hearts of people. Where up is down, down is up. It, whole, it, it really all started with this idea that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. There's really no absolute truth. It's just what we believe and what we adhere to. Right? That, that's an adoption that the world had. Goodness, I don't even remember. I think I was a kid, right? Who said yeah? Okay, somebody older than me. Perfect. I was hoping it wasn't one of the young people. Yeah, where my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, but no, it is God's truth and the truth. There's only one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. And he speaks only truth. So we live in these difficult times and and these times even that are coming that are going to be way more difficult. And so, like you, 
So oftentimes I, I wake up in the morning and, Lord, just give me something encouraging today. Encourage me. And, and that can come from a, a real selfish place sometimes. Lord, I need, what you're really saying is, Lord, help me feel better about what I've said that I believe. Help me feel better about the situation that I find myself in externally. Just encourage me. And by the way, that's okay. It's okay to be encouraged. Encouragement is one of the things that God does. That's a gifting, a gift of encouragement he gives to believers in the body to uplift each other, to uplift his bride. But see, it's a little bit unique when you have to get up here and you have to preach and you have to speak the Lord's word, especially in difficult times. When he has told us that there are more difficult times coming. So to go before him and just ask for encouragement, that, that's what I did. And this morning as I, I was sitting with him, he shared with me a story and it reminded me of a story. <laughs> and I kind of said, seriously, Lord, what part of encouragement didn't you get? Because he told me about the story where Paul was shipwrecked. And everything was lost. And he was taken to the, they were shipwrecked in the island of Malta. And so I thought, okay, well, that's probably not it then. Let me just keep pressing into you. And through, through worship this morning, pressing into him and, and just talking to him about this encouragement And all he has given me is that story. So I began to think of what that story really meant. Began to think of the times in which Paul lived. You know, Paul was told what was going to happen to him. Now, maybe not everything, but, but certainly all the difficult bullet points. The Bible says he was told what was going to come of those things. Paul went into that ship knowing what was going to happen. In fact, he even told the, the owners of the ship, the, the captain, he said, you know, probably not a good idea to leave. Why don't we just hang out here for the winter? I said, no, we got, we got to get there. We, we've got all this cargo. We've got to get there. And so they left. So even with that, Paul knew what was going to happen. He knew what was coming. You know what? Let, let's go to that story. Let's read that story. The Lord, Lord has just highlighted it. It's in Acts. Acts chapter 28. And I just want to... Let's see here. No, let's, no, let's go back. 27... And I'm going to start at verse 13 when the, when the wind really, really picks up. Before that was, was when he told the captain, you know, hey, let's not do this. And, and remember, Paul is being escorted to Rome by Roman soldiers. He's being, he, he had appealed to Caesar, um, when he was on trial in Jerusalem. And, and so, so the Rome basically had to receive him. Because he appealed to Caesar. So, so this is all the part of them getting him to Rome. And then they, they get to, um, apparently, I'm guessing back then, it wasn't good to travel by sea in the winter. And, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, not a, I'm not, not a sea captain or anything like that. So, and I know ships are different now, <laughs> obviously. But... But he had warned them, we, we shouldn't go on, or, or there, there could be many problems, and they didn't listen. So beginning at verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, and I'm just going to read this whole story going down. I, I, I'll stop if the Lord wants me to stop, but I want to get the, 
the context of the entire story out there before we go into it. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and set sail or sailed along creek close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So basically they gave up. They gave up rowing. They gave up trying to con- control it. They just gave themselves over to the wind because it was safer to do that than to fight against it. Running under the lee of a small island called Kota, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, which is basically like a sandbar, okay, uh, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. This precious thing that needed so badly to be delivered, now all of a sudden wasn't so important. When it comes to their lives, it wasn't as, por- as important as their lives. They're starting to jettison the cargo. Verse 19. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. I don't know. Again, I said I'm not a captain, but I would think that's pretty important to the ship. (laughs) Probably. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Before I go on, I want you to recognize what's going on here. I want you to place yourself into this story. Not, not just place yourself as Paul, but place yourself as these sailors. Place yourself as the Roman guards. Place yourself as the other prisoners. There were well over 200 on this boat. This was not just a few people. Place yourself into this. It got so bad, they cast the things off the boat. They started throwing even the equipment off the boat in the hopes that they would be able to stay afloat. The wind was so bad. Anybody, anybody see the perfect storm? How would you have liked to have been out on the sea in a situation like that? Even if you were close to land, which at this point they weren't. Right? You can imagine the fear that's building up. I don't know about you, but for me, there probably are not too many other ways that I would rather not die than to be drowned. I, I could choose a whole bunch of ways that I would rather die than to be drowned. Not too many that I would put above it. So all this is running through their minds that, that this is it. It says that it finally came to the point where they all gave up hope. They all gave up hope for life itself. Imagine the hopelessness of that moment. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up. Now, recognize, that's why I said don't put yourself in Paul's position. Because Paul's in a different position here. He's physically in the same position. But mentally, spiritually, and in his spirit, he is in a different position. Why? Because God told him what is going to happen. God told him that he would be before Caesar. He would actually get to Rome and fulfill what God wants him to do. He told him that. And Paul believed it. Paul believed it so much that it did not deter his process of thought. Paul did not fall into this worry of, oh, well, maybe I got something wrong. Maybe I am to die here. Paul knew with confidence what the Lord had said to him. So he said, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. Okay, he could have left that part out. Guys, seriously, you should listen. Told you so. Yeah. 
He got his little jab in there. You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet I urge you to take heart. And this is the hope. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and of whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have, faith in, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And I, I, I'm going to stop there for a second. Because the interesting thing to me is I don't think Paul's faith failed. But it certainly was challenged enough to where an angel was sent to encourage him. Where an angel was sent to literally answer the questions and the prayers that he had been giving since they left. Because remember, he knew what was coming. And if you, if you want, there's some insight into the fact that he was praying. Because the angel said to him, God has granted you. Right? He's telling this to Paul. God has granted you, Paul, all those who sail with you. That's evidence that Paul was praying for all those who were on the ship. Not just for himself. He knew that he would make it. Because he believed in what God had promised. But he was praying for these others. And, and, and he said, God has answered your prayer. He has granted you all those who set sail with you. So he said, so take heart. Take heart, men. You won't die if you trust. And we, we won't read on, but I encourage you to read the whole story. Because there were some tests of that. Where some of the crew tried to lower a boat. Saying that they were going to lower the front anchors. But really what they were going to do was sneak off and leave. Because they were pretty close to an island. They had already done the depth checks for that. And somehow Paul knew. We all know how that they were going to try this, and he walks over to the captain of the guard, and he said, if they leave, you're all going to die. So what did the captain do? He didn't just tell them, get back here. No, he went and he cut their possibility of leaving. He cut the ropes to the boat, made it just go so nobody could use it. Now that's faith, guys. I mean, we, we, we've talked about Paul's faith here. How about the faith of the captain in, in what he had seen in Paul's life? See, it doesn't say that the captain knew the Lord. But he trusted in Paul's relationship with God. Even as Paul said, his God. He recognized the fact that it wasn't everybody's God. Not, not everybody on that ship were were believers. In fact, there were probably very few, if any. But yet this captain had so much faith in what he had said that he just cut the ropes to that boat and made it go. The Roman soldiers were also worried about the other, other convicts, that they would get away. And it, it shows the mentality of this. They were so concerned about them getting away, they were going to kill them. <laughs> that doesn't really compute today, right? That doesn't make sense today. But see, it made sense back then because if they escaped, it was the Roman soldiers' fault. And they would have to pay with their lives. So they thought, better that they pay with their lives than we pay with ours. But again, Paul said no. 
or, or I'm sorry, the captain said no. See, because Paul was a convict. And he didn't want him killed, so he said, don't kill any of them. And Paul said, just trust. So can you imagine this going on? Has anybody been in the ocean when it was just insanely rough? Yes. A couple people. Okay, I, I did one time. We went deep sea fishing. I was so excited about this trip. We're to get down there at 4 a.m., right? Down, down at the inlet. And we get down there, and, and we literally wake the captain up when we got down there, which was my first sign that this was probably not going to be a good day. We wake him up, and he goes, oh, you're going to go out? I said, yeah, we paid for this, <laughs> right? We have, we have corporate people here. We're, we're here to do this. We, you know, it's a lot of money. He said, okay, well, I just want to warn you, these are class four uh, waves, and they'll let us go out, but class five, they shut us down. And he said, I can just tell you, if you don't go out normally, this is going to be pretty rough for you. And I'm like, whatever, okay. I'd never experienced that before. But, but yet I, I, I had lived at the beach. I had swam, I would surfed, I, all this. So I thought, ah, oh, no, I can handle it. That's no problem. So there were seven of us, and we started to go out. And we hit waves almost right away. But we were going out 55 miles. So what took us two hours to get out there to where this, these fish were that we were apparently going after, um, one after one, or one after the other, the, the guys on the boat just started hurling over the side. And, and the captain comes to me and he goes, uh, he goes, do you want to turn around yet? And I said, well, ask them. <laughs> They're the ones hurling. I was fine. As long I had to be on the front of the boat where the wind was hitting my face, and I was fine as long as I could do that. As long as the wind was in my face, I was good. He said, he went and talked to them, and, and this is one thing about men, like, they, none of them want to be the one that does it, right? No, no, I'm okay. okay. I won't be the one. So the captain finally says, because it was one after the other after the other. And the captain finally says, okay. He said, when the last person does it, I'm not going to ask anymore. He said, when the last person he, he hurls, we're going in. Because the captain didn't want to be there. And at this point, he didn't care. He got his money regardless, whether we got fish or not. And so I said, okay, no problem, because I'm not going to throw up. I will be fine. And so we get, we get all the way out there, 55 miles all the way out there, and I'm doing good. I'm sitting on the front. It's like a roller coaster for me. This is fun. I mean, and the waves were insane. They were huge. And so we get all the way out there, and he said, we're here. And I said, okay, and we're, we're going to start setting up to cast or what, I don't know, whatever. I'm not a fisherman. I'm just a real man. But the moment we stopped, then it got tough for me. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, wow, okay. I remember telling him I will not throw up. And we're already out here. I went through all this and, and all the guys, they they all threw it up, and they're feeling better now. And So we're, we're here. We're going to make it. And then the worst thing in the world happened to me. I had to go to the bathroom. Okay. It, 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 you ever go to the bathroom in a boat? It, and, and it wasn't a huge boat. I want to say it was maybe a 40-footer, 45-footer, something like that. You go in there, and it's these little bathrooms where they have no windows. And you go in there, and it's like, you know, you're like this. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please. Yeah, yeah. I, I was fine when I could keep my eyes on the horizon and see that I'm moving like this. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, your head stays on a swivel and you're okay. second I got in there, it was like, oh, this isn't good. And so I, I went back out. 
I don't know why I didn't throw up in there. I would, probably would have felt better if I had just thrown up in there. But, but I went back out, and, and they're starting to catch fish, and I'm all, I'm all excited. And I'm sitting at the side thinking, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. This isn't good. And just there it went. And I, th- I just kept thinking, I just want to jump in. Because I thought if I, if I jump in and I just ride the waves, I'll be fine. But this stuff of being on this boat is insane. Can I just swim back? So you can imagine. Okay, and, and finally, just to end this story, I, I, did, I did throw up. And, and that was the captain's, you know, that was his agreement with me. So he said, okay, we're just going to go back in. And I thought, whatever. At this point, I didn't care. I didn't care. I said, I just, I just need to lay down. So I went into this back deck area, and I just laid down. I fell right to sleep, which is insanely weird. And it was about an hour and a half later. We're pulling into the harbor, and it's calm as glass. It's just calm as anything. And we're hearing on the radio all these people catching their limits. And, and this is of tuna. This is of tuna that if we would have cut our limit, we would have been able to sell and make about double what we paid on the trip. And they're all catching their limits and everything else. And and I'm waking up and and hearing all this and and they're all laughing and, you know, uh, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, what happened? And he said, well, shortly after we started back in, it just got calm again, but we didn't want to wake you. Are you kidding me? You didn't want to wake me? So we got nothing. We got nothing on that trip except we had a box of donuts that I gave back to the sea. <laughs> so it just wasn't even good. So with all that in your yes, I set them free. So with all that in your mind, imagine how these guys felt. Couple in that the fact that there's no hope for life. There's no hope for life whatsoever. And then Paul, this guy who you don't know except that he's a prisoner of something, and he must be a high-valued prisoner because he's got all these guards around just him. He says his God sent an angel and said, you're going to be fine. Imagine what that would be like. Would that be encouraging? You know, hope is something that is the bedline of encouragement. If you have no hope, if there is no hope, then there is no possibility for encouragement. Because there's no possibility for faith. Because hope, it's almost like this fertilizer laying on a bed of soil that gives hope. Hope that something will grow. You know, Paul, throughout his life, I I just can't wait to sit down and, and talk to him. Because how did he generate this hope, not just for other people, but even for himself? How did he generate this faith? Did he do it just because he knew the law? See, intellectually, he knew everything about the Word of God. He knew everything about the Old Testament, the Torah. He knew everything about the law and the prophets. Is that what encouraged him? No. It was the relationship that he, he had with God that encouraged him. Because that's what gave him a hope. He understood That no matter what, God said this would happen. And I believe it will happen because it will, because he said it. So I I don't know what I'll have to go through. I don't know. Well, now I know I've got to go through a shipwreck. Because these idiots don't want to spend the the wintertime in Crete. He didn't know what all he would have to go through. He, wouldn't, he didn't know that he would get onto this shore, stoke up a firing, then get bit by a viper. And, and by the way, it's interesting because there's only one poisonous snake 
left there on that island, and, and it, it's, it's not got enough venom to kill you. But yet these people were so used to people dying in moments after this snake bit them. Now, I don't know if later they just got rid of all these snakes. Because it's an island. At some point, you could get rid of everything on there, right? But Paul had no idea what he was going to have to go through. Him getting bit, them thinking, well, he's a convict, so that's, that's certainly what he deserves. And then they're just watching. Okay, he's not dead yet. He's not dead. You know, that, that snake didn't even seem to phase him. It latched onto his arm, and he literally just pulled it off, threw it in the fire. I don't know, you would think he'd react by even just the pain. <laughs> okay, but they're watching, and he didn't die. He didn't puff up. He, he didn't have problems. He didn't even sit down and start to wheeze like, oh, this is, this is bad. Then they figured out, okay, this isn't affected, affecting him. Maybe he's God or a God. So the, the table completely turned. And they started to look at him as these gods, which just read the story. It's an interesting story. Paul squelched that right away and told him about the God. Then there was an amazing healing in the story. There was an opportunity for him to share Christ to these people who would not have had the opportunity to hear if it weren't for the stupid decision of that captain. So you see, when we want something encouraging, can you imagine if what you know as Paul is that Okay, well, here's something encouraging for you. You're going to run into this nor'easter that's going to literally rip your boat apart. And you're going to be faced with death, losing your crew, the crew that you're with, because of these various reasons. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to have to do all this stuff, but, but Paul, you're going to live because the Lord told him to go to Rome before, and he believed that he would. But let me just encourage you, Paul, you will live, but you're going to go through all this stuff. How encouraging is that? I don't know about you, that wouldn't be very, that wouldn't be very encouraging to me. Just like when he tells us of the second woe. Are you encouraged by the second woe? I mean, you probably don't know a lot about it. I can tell you I'm not encouraged by the second woe. And for what we know of it, there's nothing encouraging about it. But yet, see, Paul didn't see that. Paul saw opportunity everywhere that he was taken. He allowed the Holy Spirit to just do in and through him what he wanted. So his encouragement was the fact that God was with him. His encouragement was the fact that no matter what path, He would go down, no matter what path Satan would try to get him on, that wasn't even his choice, it was his choice to stay in Crete. But whatever path that Satan would try to get him on, Paul had the confidence that God was in it. Why? Because he had relationship with him. He trusted him. He learned that his words were what we say they are. What God says they are, living and breathing. It wasn't just that he could believe in this concept that God is always good and he will do good with Paul. No, Paul heard from God himself because he had relationship with him. And because Paul had the faith to believe that, God let him know the things that he would have to endure. You know, when Paul, what a fascinating, fascinating guy. When he was saved on the road to Damascus, when he was, he, he was literally presented to Jesus Christ in front of him and saying, why are you going after me like this? Right? Paul didn't argue with him that, well, because, 
People say you're the Messiah and you're not. No, immediately because his heart wanted what God wants. Immediately God showed him who Jesus was and is. From that moment began Paul's preparation. Fourteen years. And really three more years before his public ministry. Seventeen years. And Paul said in that time that he was shown all the things that he would have to endure. All the things that he would have to deal with in saying yes to God. You know, let's turn. Let me find it. We've gone over this before, but this is so important. It's Luke. Luke 14. See, Paul was shown ahead of time what this was going to cost him. When God calls you, it doesn't mean he's going to share with everybody what what this is going to cost you. But when he calls you to something that will seem like it's not going to be that, then he will show you the truth of it. He has done that here with Ignition. He has done that with me. He has done that with many others here. I want to read, starting at verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, and this is Jesus, If anyone comes to me, comes to Jesus, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. How do you tell that to a group of families that you're speaking to? You know, he could have softened that up a little bit. Just like when he told him, you'll have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He made it hard for a reason. Because they have to understand. You have to understand. I have to understand the cost of walking in relationship with him. Not just the cost of what he has you do in life. Because the two things are coupled If you are walking in His will, you will be walking in His calling. You can't say, I'm not going to walk in His calling. I'm going to control my own situation. I'm going to do my own thing. And then expect to be in relationship with Him. It doesn't work that way. Because see, relationship is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. It's not just him giving everything and you receiving. Relationship is you building with him in faith, in trust. So understanding that cost is important. Let's go on. Uh, By the way, what it says there, if anyone does not... Hate father, mother, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. What is a disciple? Does that mean he cannot be saved? No. It's not what it means. It doesn't say he cannot be my child. It says he cannot be my disciple. It's what everybody here has requested of God. Lord, let me sit at your feet and learn. Let me learn of you. Let me know of you. Let me learn who you are. Learn your ways. Learn even what you have for my life. Let me be your disciple. Your pupil. That's literally what the word means. And he says, if you really want to learn from me, if you really want to be my pupil, if you really want to know the secret heart of God, You can't have anything before him. Nothing. You can't have family. You can't have friends. You can't have a spouse. You can't have a mother, a father. You can't have children. You can't have a job. You can't have anything 
before him. Nothing. That's a hard word right there. Because one in a thousand, one in a thousand might actually do that. And that's probably generous. It is rare that somebody will give up everything, including their life. That's why there's a crown for martyrs. You know, a crown solely for martyrs. The only way you get this crown is to be martyred for Jesus Christ. There's a reward for that. There's a, there's a recognition for that. Why? Because of the willingness to pay an ultimate price. Now, I am speaking here to ignition. Are you? Are you willing to pay the ultimate price? Is it just lip service that you want relationship, that you want to literally fulfill his will in your life? To do the things, to be placed on the path that he wants you on. So many here have said yes. So many have given up the very things that he said cost to be his disciple. They've given up family. They've given up jobs. They've given up things. See, that's the cost. That's why he had he set Paul aside and said, Paul, I have this life for you. I have this eternity for you. But it's going to cost you everything. Because it cost me everything. And when I say me, I mean Jesus. It cost him everything. It cost the Father everything. So see, it it can't be any less for us. And that cost, by the way, is not just in physical things. That cost is in faith. Even what we go through right now. Even knowing the promises that God has given us. The promises of a voice. The promises of, of the seven places in the world. The promises of what he's going to do in Nigeria. All these promises that, I mean, we know are so well beyond us. And even what he has done so far is is so well beyond us. That's actually the proof of the faith. The evidence that you can't see. That's the proof. See, discouragement is no different than an attack from the enemy to attack your faith. If he can get your faith, he can control the scenario. If Satan could have gotten Paul's faith on that ship trip, if he could have gotten his faith on that, questioning what God had said, questioning if he's really supposed to go to Rome, questioning, Lord, what did I do wrong because... You know, clearly this is all negative, so I must have done something wrong. What did I do wrong? If he could have gotten Paul to agree and lose faith, then Satan would have been able to control much of the situation. And it would have turned out very different. Your faith is your currency in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the cost of what he asks from you. Your faith. And in order to even understand and believe in what he tells you, you have to know his word. 
You have to know the word of God so you can be as a Berean, like what we talked about last week in Acts 17.11. To be as a Berean, to go and search out the word of God and prove out what you hear. By the way, it's no di- it was no different for the Bereans. The Bereans didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the gospel. That's what they were proving out. They were proving out the gospel that was not laid out in the Old Testament, but yet the Old Testament is all they had. So how were they doing that? See, we so easily assume, well, yeah, they had the Bible. They went and proved out Jesus in the Bible, Jesus right there in the gospels. No, they didn't have that. They had the Old Testament. They literally had in the Old Testament where the mystery of the church was what? It was a mystery. It was hidden. But yet they had to prove it out. Because Paul was talking about the church. He was talking about this mystery that was being unfolded and they had to go prove it out. How did they do it? They went to the Word of God. They went to the Old Testament and they looked at God's character and they saw, does this agree with His character? Because if it is, if it does, then we press into it. Allow Him to prove it out. Put some faith into it. But yet so many people now and even as we continue forward, They will simply not believe because they can't see it in his word. I challenge you. You ever actually listen to the word? I mean, the words that are given, do you discount them immediately or do you actually listen to the word? Where Jesus says that he is coming to ready his bride. Because he loves his bride. And in order to do that, his justice must first be served. Prove that out in the word of God. It it won't be hard. You could do it very easily. Don't get stuck on the fact that somebody said the Lord says. And and wait, I, I can't find that in Twidel chapter 12. Prove out the word like the Brians did. Take it to the character of God in your own relationship with him and say, Lord, and I, and, I, and I speak this because it's what I did. I said, Lord, show me if this is true. I don't believe it. This was six, whatever it was, years ago. I, I, I don't. I've grown up differently. I, I've never believed this. I, I Right now, my position is I don't believe this, but God, you're pulling on my heart, and I know there's something there that I don't understand. Because, see, I see it match your character more than what I believe. See, what I, what I believed at that point in his character was that he was a historical God. And doesn't interact in those ways anymore. And and yet it didn't match what his word said about who he is. So I said, Lord, just show me. Just show me. I, I, I will be like the Bereans where I will go and I will look at your character. Prove it out to me. Because you will not lie. And your word does not lie. I encourage you to do that. Don't be stuck on something that you might hear that is offensive to you. How about the people that heard what Jesus said about hating their father and mother? If they could not get beyond that statement, where would it have been for them? If the disciples couldn't get past that statement of, of literally hating, he didn't say, now you gotta, you gotta make sure I'm ahead of your family. He said, no, if you don't hate them, he didn't have to say that. But he did say it. He didn't have to say, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood to have any part of me, but he did say that. Why? 
Because he required of their faith to get past the offense. To get past what they thought was so offensive. To recognize truth to be and arrive at the truth. Because the truth is offensive. And it's offensive today. Let's come on up. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this word, God. And we thank you, God, for your love and for how you invite us in to a deeper place with you, God, a deeper understanding by releasing words that don't immediately add up in our intellect but require us to go deeper in you and to, by our faith, understand things and worship and trust you in our spirits. And I just praise you, God, that you do give answers. You are a God that answers prayer. You promised us that when we ask, we'll receive. When we seek, we'll find. When we knock, the door will be opened in all these areas that we struggle to understand. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that when there's a contradiction, like the verse shared about hating all those people, and yet saying that the world will know your mind by your love and how you love one another. How, how do we reconcile that? That is, a, that is a direct invitation to come deeper with you to figure out what that means. And God, I thank you that you make it clear. And I just pray, God, that this would be an opportunity, that this word today would be an opportunity to dig deep, to find out that you are a consistent God that is always truth and does not contradict himself, but that we cannot lean on our own understanding. If we acknowledge you and trust you in all of our ways, you will unlock truths and guide and release the, the guidance that we need in our path. And I just praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.